Good evening. We're in Psalm 119 again, and we're in verse 49 to 56. So perhaps you could turn to, to Psalm 119 and uh, we'll read 49 to 56. Remember your word to your servants in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my surgeoning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me. That I have kept your precepts. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word. In the Christian life, we're called upon to be comforted even in our affliction and to rejoice even in our sorrows. It's the theme of the word of God. How do we do that? And in the Old Testament, God's people had to learn how to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land, in a strange land. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul called upon the Corinthians and you and me, how to so- to sorrow but rejoice. Paul called on the Thessalonians to grieve, but not as those without, without hope. So how do you do that? And this section, this stanza of Psalm 119 addresses this vital question for the Christian life. So how does this stanza of Psalm 119 help us to sorrow with rejoicing, to grieve with hope and to endure afflictions with comfort let me draw your attention very quickly this evening it's gonna it's just a short study on seven things that we learn from this stanza for our help our encouragement our hope and our comfort number one hope in the word and that's verse 49 remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope the lord god has given us a promise on which we can hope and he has wrought a hope in that promise in our hearts the lord has given us a promise on which we may hope and he has wrought a hope in that promise in our hearts and that is vital for living the christian life the lord can give you promises we know this the lord can give you promises but we can have a hard time laying hold of them we have a hard time believing them the psalmist says lord you've given me glorious promises But you have not just given me those promises. Now, in my heart, you've allowed me to take hold of those promises and to have hope in those promises. How are we able to sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How are we able to sorrow with rejoicing, grieve with hope, be comforted in our affliction? Because the Lord has made promises to us and by his Holy Spirit, he has enabled us to have hope in those promises. Is that your testimony? Well, if not, which side of this do you need to take to the Lord? You see, it could be, Lord, open my eyes to your promises. I know they are in your word, but I haven't taken account of them as I ought. That may be the prayer you need to pray. Or, Lord, I know they are there. But where I am in my life right now, I have a really hard time believing, hoping in them. Or maybe both. Take that prayer to the Lord. Because here is a brother psalmist 
to you 3,000 years ago, saying that he had seen the Lord's promises in the word. And the Lord had given in hope in those promises in his heart and it had enabled the psalmist to live the life of a believer. Second thing I'd like you to see is verse 50, God promises give life. So this is my comfort in my affliction, the psalmist opens up with saying, and you want to know that answer, you do, you want to know, what is it? Tell me what it is. Your promise gives me life. The psalmist is saying that God's promises in his word are both comforting and quickening. Well, what does that mean? It means they're a consolation to us in our afflictions and they are the Spirit's instrument in our sanctification. God has given these promises, not only that we wouldn't faint when we're under burdens, not only that we would not give up hope when we're in trial, but he's given given us these promises to grow us in grace, to sanctify us, to raise us to life out of the deadness of our sin. He gives the word to us to quicken us to life. Growth in grace. The psalmist says, this is how I walk with the Lord in the midst of trial. The Lord has given me promises and those promises both comfort and quicken me. Third thing I'd like you to see and uh, is that we're, the psalmist and us determined not to turn away from God's word. Now you might think, the tendency could be to think that the psalmist says, because I believe your word, because I hope in your word, because I've received your promises and they comfort and they quicken me, I'm not going to face opposition in the world. But what he actually says in verse 51 is, the insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. The psalmist is saying to us that we must expect opposition. We must expect to be mocked and jeered for our Christianity, but we should not be jeered, mocked, out of our Christianity. The psalmist's fidelity to the word, his hope in God's promise, does not mean that he isn't derided. In fact, he says he he is. But he experiences derision, but he is determined not to be turned away from God's word. The things that we believe that used to seem reasonable and normal to our world now seem abnormal and unreasonable, fanatical, mean, fundamentalist, narrow, backwards, fill in the blank with whatever description that is negative that you want to drag up. But the world more and more finds the things that Christians believe and the Bible teaches to be worthy. The world finds them worthy of derision and is very happy to oblige. So if we're going to hold fast to the word, we must, with the psalmist, expect derision. And our response must be like the psalmist's response. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. The, 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 in other words, the psalmist digs in and he says, you may want to deride me, but I'm not going to let loose of God's law. I believe God's word. I'm going to hold on to God's word. I'm going to turn to God's word. I'm going to continue in God's word. Matthew Henry said so helpfully, those can bear but little for Christ. Those can but bear little for Christ that cannot bear a hard word for him. In other words, if you're not willing to be derided for Jesus, then there is not much you're ready to be ready to bear for Jesus. And the psalmist is reminding us to be prepared for that. You will have the opportunity to either be derided for your saviour or to avoid derision by denying your saviour. And the psalmist is saying, I won't deny. I will not deny God's word. I happily accept the derision, but I will hold on 
to the word of God. The fourth thing I'd like you to see from this stanza is in verse 52. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. So when derided, the psalmist turns to the word. He thinks on the word. He meditates on the word. And when we do, when we turn to the word, we'll find comfort in old words and old ways. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. I encourage you to have that experience. The word has been challenged. The word has been mocked. You've been derided. The word has been rejected, but you go to the word. You devote yourself to the reading of the word. You dwell on the word. And as you dwell on the word, you suddenly remember the word is wise. And the reason the word is derided is because it strikes at the heart of the sins of sinners and they do not like it. So they deride it. But the word is wiser than they. And the psalmist says that as he turns to the word of God and as he finds in it comfort, Comfort in the old ways, the old laws, the old words of God. When derided, what do we do? We turn to the word of God. We think on it. We pray on it. We devote ourselves to it. We will see its wisdom. And that is how you live in the midst of a world that doesn't accept the word of your master. The fifth thing I'd like you to see is godly indignation. 53. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Now, notice how verses 51, 52 and 53 group together. Firstly, the insolent deride the word of God. And the psalmist says, I will not turn away from the law. And then he says, I'm going to meditate on your law and I see it is wisdom. And now he says, it makes me angry when I see the wicked publicly and openly and brazenly forsake your law. Now, we have to be careful with this. It is a temptation to be angry about others' sin and be easy on us, our own. And that is not how we want to be. We want to be hard on our sin and we want to be patient with the sins of others. But that is not the circumstance the psalmist is talking about. He's talking about an open, flagrant, wanton, brazen rejection of the law of God. And what he says, it burns in his heart. Do you burn in your heart at the what's going on around us at the open, flagrant, wanton, brazen rejection of God's word? Hot indignation seized the psalmist because... The wicked forsake, forsook the, the law of God. And the psalmist is lining up his heart with the Lord. We hate the things that the Lord hates because we believe his word. And those who love God's word share God's indignation against sin. I don't know whether you ever read of Henry Martin, the missionary who went to India. He died very young. He burnt himself out for the sake of the Lord. And when he got to India, one of the things that vexed him most was his encounter with an ancient practice that was part of cultural life in northern India at the time called Sati or Suti. And it was the practice of Indian widows self-emulating. At their husband's funerals, these women would throw themselves on the funeral pyre and burn to death. It was seen as an act of love of um, act of love and loyalty to their husbands. And when Henry Martin saw that, he couldn't believe that human beings in the image of God could be allowed and encouraged to do this. And on one occasion he said this, he said, I could not bear to go on living if I thought my Lord's law would always be so dishonoured. And he saw the very image of God being consumed by fire in a pagan ritual that looks like something from the valley of Hin Hinnom that, we, re that is, we read in Jeremiah 19. And it vexed his soul. He had indignation that this could go on. And it's the same kind of indignation that I think that drove Wilberforce and John Newton about the Atlantic slave trade. And we could have come to other examples in history. They're just some 
you know, where the souls burn with indignation at the things that God hates. God's people are vexed when they see wanton, flagrant violations of his law, because our heart is with him, and when you love God's word, you share his indignation against sin. Sixth thing I'd like you to see is the lyrics for our journey home, verse 54. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourn in. One of the most beautiful lines in this stanza. One to memorise, put on your computer screen or on your wall, remind yourself over and over again. The psalmist is saying that the Lord God supplies the lyrics for our journey home. Those who love the Lord, those who love his scriptures, make him and them the theme of our pilgrim songs. We're strangers in a strange land. We're aliens in a place that is not our home. We're on a journey. We're on a pilgrimage home. What songs do we sing on the journey home? Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. The psalmist is singing the Lord's songs. He's singing about the Lord. He's singing the Lord's words in the house of his sojourning on his way home. Acts 16, Paul and Silas in the prison in Philippi. What are they doing? They're singing the Lord's songs. They were singing probably psalms and probably those hymns that they were singing were the psalms of adoration to God. Because hymns, as far as we can tell in the language of the early church, refer to a song that is directed in praise to God. So these probably came from the Psalter itself. What were they singing? I don't know. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 90, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. I don't know what they were singing, but they were singing the Lord's songs. And you remember what happened. An earthquake came and the jailer came and he thought everyone had escaped and he got ready to kill himself because when Roman jailers lost their prisoners, the, the penalty of the government against them was, was death. And Paul cries out, do not do it. We're, we're all here. You remember it well. And Paul cried out, we are here. And the jailer came in trembling, fell on his face and said, Lord, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They're singing the Lord's song in a strange land in prison. And the pagan wants to be saved. What Jesus and his disciples did when they went, when they were on the way to Gethsemane, they sang a hymn. They sang the Lord's song while they're on the way there. And I've no doubt there are people who are believers in the Lord Jesus because they saw somebody singing the Lord's song in their hour of trial. They saw someone grieve with hope. They saw someone sorrow but rejoice. They saw someone afflicted but comforted. And they said, this must be real. What these guys believe must be real. And I've no doubt that's what was something like that was going through the Philippians jailer's mind. I've never seen prisoners like this. They're singing the Lord's song in prison. And when the gates open after the earthquake, they do not leave. There's something different about these people. Whatever it is they have, I want it. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The Lord has given us the lyrics for our journey home. And those who love him and the scriptures make him and them. The theme of their pilgrim songs. Finally, remember God's name in the night, 55 and 56. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. And to remember God's name is to know him personally. God's name is the representation of his character. It is the reputation of his attributes. The name of God speaks to who God is. And when he says, I remember your name, the psalmist is saying, Lord, I know what you are like. I know who you are. I know you personally because I have read your word. You've revealed yourself to me in your word. So I remember your name in the night. 
Remember, to remember God's name is to know him personally and to know him is to want to do his word. Listen to his words again. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I've kept your precepts. To know God is to want to do his word. And here is the brilliant thing that the psalmist makes so clear in verse 56. It isn't a burden to obey God's word. It is a blessing. It is a blessing, not a burden to live by God's word. It lifts burdens to live by God's word. It brings blessing to live by God's word. And this attitude, the attitude that we meet in the words, oh, how I love your law, O Lord, recognises that God has not given his word to curse us, but God has given his word to teach us how to live and to show us our need for a saviour. And those things, my dear friends, are blessings. They are not curses, they are blessings. Now in all of these things, the psalmist is teaching us how to sorrow with rejoicing, how to endure the afflictions of the Christian life with comfort, how to grieve with hope and how to sing the Lord's song in a strange land. May the Lord bless the, this truth to our hearts as we do so. May we live for his glory. Amen.